The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Rolling. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Yeah. Yeah, and we got the Rickening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like the- uh, You choked me up, bro. Like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Billy Kimsey. Billy, I can't eat. None of the other Burroughs are in the studio here. We're just, um, we're going to talk about a little event that me and Rick went to, but Billy, I can't eat. One year for uh, Halloween went as the Kool-Aid guy. Oh, my gosh. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, the whole nice. night. It was hilarious. Anyway, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of people battling COVID and all kinds of stuff. But Rick, you and I uh, had an opportunity to go to uh, North Augusta at this little church, the Lighthouse Lighthouse church, Tabernacle. Lighthouse Tabernacle. Uh, who was the pastor? Um, Terry somebody, right? Yes. Uh, what was his name? Yeah, we need to remember him. Very That dude was awesome. Um he uh he got up in front of the church and uh Terry the pastor uh and he gave somewhat of a little personal testimony uh, about his life uh, and the things that he had come through and he has a heart for the people especially that are addicted to drugs and uh having problems with alcohol and uh you know widows and orphans and all he he really is and but Dr. Lynn Hiles had come to do was it like a little conference that he yes. did Yes Yeah and it's so a- it's uh, Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor. Sorry, we got it wrong. The pastor of Lighthouse Tabernacle. Uh, and Dr. Lynn Hiles came in there. We had actually set up to where he was going to be on a uh, a Zoom call for February 2nd. Rick, you had made that happen for me and got to talk to him. And then you let me know, hey, surprise, he's coming to this little town north yep. in North Augusta at this church for a little conference. And uh, I was able to boogie down there. Uh, yep. you, st- you were there on Friday night, and then I went down and met you there I on went there Saturday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Sunday, yeah. And we got a chance to sit down with him. Great guy. Oh, man. And when he He's was at the else. conference, like he, instead of teaching what he was teaching, like he got into straight up preaching. Oh, all the time. I mean, it was wild. Like he was like, I'm not getting to my notes because he was just <laughs> preaching so hard. Yes. It was awesome, though. I really enjoyed it. So, guys, take a listen to this uh, little interview that we did. We didn't have Andy. I, please forgive me. Andy tried to fix the audio on this uh, to the best of his ability. Uh, Andy, I, don't, I can't remember, but did uh, were you able to fix the level of Rick whatsoever, like elevate him a little bit? Or? Was that terrible? No, you just you're too far away. You're too far uh, away from the mic is all. It's all I, that's my no, fault. Uh, no, is largely the answer to that. I think you could hear him. I yeah. think you will oh. hear and understand him. Is he as loud as the other two? No. But I think you'll, yeah. I, I think when he speaks, you will, I think you will understand him. I so. had a little Zoom recorder that had a top left and right mic and you were sitting to the far left. We, it so. was all, it was all. But it was awesome because we got to meet, yes. uh, really, I, I really enjoyed getting to meet Dr. Hiles. So. I've, known, I've known that guy for The way for Rick described it, I thought the audio was going to be much worse. I was like, no, this is, this is exactly what you should expect from that <laughs> circumstance. That's 
sounds about right. You know, yeah, so it just, it's not that bad. It, it breaks my heart. When I don't have Andy, my quality suffers and yeah. it just sucks. But, um, you know, I'm glad he was able to do a little bit, you know, to make it sound a little bit better. So check it out. Tell me what you guys think. Well, so our, our guest here, Dr. Lynn Hiles, uh, it says here, opens the Word of God in a dynamic style, not only causing the hearer to easily understand, but also enabling an impartation of the Spirit of revelation that unveils the kingdom of God with love and grace to people around the world. Hiles has an apostolic mission encompassing over 35 years of traveling ministry. Hiles flows in the gifts of the Spirit and gives insight and oversight to churches internationally. He also hosts a national international TV program titled Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life, on Dish Network, DirecTV, many cable networks, and also YouTube and other digital outlets. He and his wife live in Berkeley Springs, where they are part of the Word of Deliverance Association. Hiles holds a Doctorate of Theology in Biblical Studies from Vineyard Harvest Bible College of Cedartown, Georgia, and is the author of the books From Law to Grace, God's Beauty and the Beast, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, Unforced Rhythms of Grace, and The Great I Am. So, Dr. Hiles, I appreciate you being on our program. It's good to be here. One correction, though, that's a little bit older. I've been in full-time traveling ministry for 43 years. 43? That's an old one. Yeah, that's Wow. One, yeah. When I looked at it, it said nine months ago. I need to update it myself. Yeah. It's probably on my website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, uh, if you guys can also hear, we got Electric Rickaloo in the house. Hey, yeah, this is uh, Rick Carter. Um, we are at Lighthouse Tabernacle, and is it Bath, South Carolina? Is that uh, where we are? Close to Warrenville, just north of Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. yeah, slide this way, Rick, to make sure we can actually hear you on this mic. All right. And, and Andy is not recording this, so if it stinks, you can blame me. But uh, <laughs> Dr. Hiles, uh, is it all right if I call you Dr. Yeah, Hiles? you can tell me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always ask my, my guest, the first question I always ask him is, can you tell me the earliest memory that you have of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? I think the earliest that I can remember having an impact was I had I was very young. My family at that time were not serving God. My grandmother was, or my great grandmother was, mm-hmm. but my father was an alcoholic. Later became a pastor and transformed the lives of our our family. Just a radical, uh, life changing conversion that shifted our whole family. But the first thing I remember that impacted me as a young man, we had a picture of Jesus in our living room. Hmm. And I could never figure out why my mother had the picture of this man hanging up. Now, I realize now that the picture was somebody's viewer rendition of it, but it was like, if you remember that old picture where the eyes always followed you. But there was something about that picture that drew me. I know this probably sounds crazy, but I was drawn to that picture. And I can remember pulling a chair up and kissing that picture as a probably eight-year-old boy. And I kissed that picture, and when I did, I felt something happen in my heart. Now, Hmm. I I still remember that experience to this day. It was an experience that I had. So that was my first encounter with the Lord, you know, in in any kind of way. And so then I asked my mother about Jesus and stuff like that. So she told me what she knew about him. You know, later then, uh, my mother was just, you know, we, there was, I I come from a family of uh, six other siblings at that time. I think my mother had, uh, there was probably six of us. The seventh one wasn't on the scene yet. But my father was an alcoholic at that time, and we were just kind of in that lifestyle. And I can remember my mom, she said, I'm just done. You know, I'm just finished. And, and uh, you know, she said uh, that dad had been gone for the weekend, and she was like just totally done. Hmm. 
And my aunt uh, asked her to go with her to a little Nazarene church that Sunday morning. And that Sunday morning, she got saved. And when she got saved, she got radically saved. That's the church my great-grandmother went to. And uh, so she came home from church and totally transformed. My dad was ready for a fight, you know, because he'd been gone all weekend. But she said, I'm just not going to fight with you anymore, you know. And she's like, had made such a radical change. So then my brother and I got saved. And, uh, you know, I talk, I'm, when I say saved, I'm talking about my encounter with the Lord, how I come to receive Jesus as my Savior. Was I was nine years old. And I remember my brother was 10. I remember being in a revival. And the Spirit of the Lord was really moving. And I, we were weeping, me and my brother. We didn't know a lot about God. We just didn't, because we hadn't been raised in a family where you knew anything about Jesus, except I remember that encounter. But we were both sitting there just crying. And my mom said, you, you boys want to go to the altar? And we're like, well, if it'll make us quit crying, we'll go, you know. <laughs> but I remember going to that altar that morning and uh, receiving, not that morning, but that evening, and just had a really, really, really a, a real experience with the Lord in that moment. So did my brother. And the Lord spoke to me. It's the first time I've heard the voice of God. But the Lord spoke to me as clearly as I'm sitting here, said, I've got a work for you and your brother to do. Had no idea what it would entail to this day, you know, but uh, I mean, truly that word has come to pass. And that was kind of our conversion. And then when my dad heard that me and my brother had gotten saved, man, he 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 got saved in his bed one night and the Lord literally appeared to him. He had a, a peering of Jesus literally came to his bed and, and he had an encounter with the Lord. And that moment transformed him. He flushed all of his booze down the toilet and I mean, got healed of uh I mean, he'd take 37 pills a day. Doctor told him he never lived to see his children, you know, graduate from college, just radically healed. I had a lung taken off, the top of his lung was taken off, and to the day he died, every time he'd get a new doctor and they'd x-ray him, they'd see this lung back on there and thought it was a growth. And they'd, they'd put him through all kinds of tests and say, there's no way a lung grows back. I said, the Lord healed it, put the lung back there. And every time I've told you guys, you go through all these tests, and they would medically confirm the lung is back there. <laughs> So it was an absolute miracle, <laughs> wow. you know. And so, yeah, that that's not one of the regenerating organs, yeah. is it? Yeah. That's right. And it was like it was back on. And I mean, he he literally had the you know the X rays to prove that that he never took. I mean, he he flushed all of his meds down. He never took another pill. Just radically changed and healed. Did he flush them in the outhouse or in the? No, the, we had actually had a you know a flush toilet at that time. <laughs> and so, anyway, that that. We 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 really began to pursue the Lord and came through different kinds of uh, moves, you know, of God and and uh, experiencing different things and and then we, you know, my dad uh, one day the Lord spoke to him to build a church. We weren't even having a meeting anywhere, and he, but he, my dad owned some land, and so he said the Lord told him to build a church. So we were just you know having home devotions is about all we were doing and praying with each other's family and playing guitars, you know, sitting on our mountain play, picking guitars and. And, and and thinking growing up, well, I wish somebody would just come visit this tribe. And this is in West Virginia. This is in West Virginia. West Virginia. Okay. We just thought, boy, you know, nobody ever come visit us because they called us the tribe and the bus that come to church, you know, like a bunch of wild kids turn loose on the mountain. <laughs> now they come to that mountain from all over the world and just some powerful testimonies about that. But I'll I tell you about that in a minute if you want me to. But anyway, you know, my dad said, the Lord spoke to me to build a church. And so he had a bulldozer and just went out there and started digging a hole and took what money we had. And we started building and never ran out of money. It's what we'd do 100 blocks at a time, 200 blocks at a time. And then when those were going, somebody give an offering, we'd get another 100 blocks. And we built the first building debt-free, opened the doors, have not having service, and started out with 50, I think, people. Never, we've never run less than that. And now we've built like five times there. 
But I think one of the greatest impacting things ever since, like we grew on that hill, my mom didn't drive. My dad worked six, seven days a week in the mines. And and so, you know, we thought, well, it would be nice if somebody would visit us. And now they come there from all over the world. And I think one of the greatest impacting things I've ever seen was a guy came to one of our conferences from Nigeria who had started listening to me uh, on our TV program via our YouTube channel. And uh, he he was a legitimate prince. He was the son of a king, but his dad was a Muslim king in, in Africa. And he came uh, to our conference, and he said, I want to come and have the patriarch, matriarch of this house lay their hands on me that four generations from now my children will be serving God. He said, I'm the first generation that's not Muslim. And when this prince knelt down in front of my mom, I almost get teared up thinking about it now, this prince Wow. Knelt down in front of my mom to lay her hands on him. My, my dad had already passed away. Wow. The house was in tears. I thought they'd come from all over the world. So, you know, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. Wow. You know, so, so that's kind of a little bit of my story. So if you, let's let's say from that time, whenever you went to the altar and you had that experience, about how, about what age was that? was that? I was probably nine or 10 years old. Nine or 10. Okay. And so... From that point, I know that I just, uh, being here at Lighthouse Tabernacle, I just heard you speak. And by the way, that was an amazing talk. Absolutely. Uh, so it was, it was more preaching, really, than, than anything. It was incredible. And I really, I, d- I don't want to, don't let me forget this, Rick. I want you to tell our audience in a little bit what you told us about the long nose and the withered hand. I've never heard that. Yeah. And that blessed my heart today yeah, yeah. about the bread uh, of God. But, um, but you mentioned in that talk that you... Uh, were called to preach at the, around the age of 16. Can you tell us a little Actually, bit about that? about the age of nine, I knew it was called to preach. Oh, okay. But I never did anything with it. Matter of fact, as a young man, you know, it was after that that I had gotten saved, and our whole family had. Mm-hmm. So we would have home devotions. You know, we'd sit around, there's like nine of us, and we'd start out just, you know, as a family. We were all musical, so we played guitars and sing and do stuff like that. And the Lord had called me to preach. And I told my dad, I said, the Lord called me to preach. I thought I had to leave tonight, you know. I'm thinking, the Lord's called me to preach. And I was crying. I'm thinking, i got to leave home. So my dad's like, well, you don't have to leave tonight. He said, go up in your room and, <laughs> go up in your room and get a word. And you can preach tonight, you know, at home devotion. So I went up, prepared a sermon, preached a full minute and a half. You know, I wished I could do that now, you know. And anyway, uh, you know, but uh, I knew I was called, but I didn't really. I, I, and then I, I grew up in a, a lot of classical Pentecost, and uh, a lot of my Pentecostal roots I still embrace, but the legalism of it almost drove me away because it was always full of, uh, you know, really the wrong covenant, uh, preaching law and legalism and stuff wasn't even in the Bible was a sin. I told, you know, you heard me say this morning, I got saved every Sunday morning, I thought. Yeah. I and then, you know, give them a midweek courtesy dip because they'd talk you out of your salvation. About the time you thought you was living right, they'd invent a new sin, you was lost again. So I felt like I was pushed away. And so I, I ran from what I thought was God. But it really was, I was resisting religion. And then, uh, I, 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 then I came back to know the Lord, and uh, or not, not to know the Lord, but I came back to... A relationship? Uh, yeah, a relationship. I, I quit letting that lie separate me. Mm-hmm. And because uh, really the truth of it is he never left me. Right. You and know? he never does. And he doesn't forsake me. And that kind of was something that really was foreign to me because they told me he'd leave me. Mm-hmm. You know, like That's I always right. thought if he, he loves me, he loves me not. I hope I die and he loves me. And so anyway, I, I, I started traveling in with my father-in-law leading worship for him. And he wasn't so much of a legalist. And then 
But then I started getting a revelation of grace myself, a new covenant. And I think really one of the greatest keys for me was an understanding of fulfilled eschatology, which I didn't even know was called preterism. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me if I was a preterist. I thought, well, that sounds like a pervert. I don't think I'm one of them. I know. Yeah, that's what you I know, first like, thought. When I, I heard like, that word, that, I was like, you know? I don't, I don't all, think I want to be I that. Was, I didn't know there was people writing books about it. I didn't know there was other people out there. I just got it by revelation mm -hmm. and realizing that a lot of the stuff that pushed me away and a lot of the fear that I had was because of bad theology. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at it and preaching what I would see by revelation. And then I preached myself in a relationship with other people or started coming across material that impacted me, that confirmed or added to me the pieces I was missing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to kind of share my journey, and then I think probably the one book that probably impacted me more than any other book that's still my go-to book was called The Parousia or The Perusia by J. Russell Stewart. And I'm probably as close to whatever he is as anybody, but when I read that book, it's a difficult read, but I started seeing other other preterist writers were quoting him. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I'm just going to see if I can find this guy's book. And I read his book, and it added to me the pieces that I needed to help me to put the pieces together, you know. And then since then, of course, the peace comes back, the joy comes back, your future's back, you know. Uh, you know, the thing about the gospel is it's good news. Mm -hmm. And it's like I said this morning, people have accused me of saying, well, you're just a feel-good preacher. I said, well, that's why it's called the good news. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you should yeah. feel better when you leave church than you when you came. And so, you know, that's the journey I've kind of been on. So I started pioneering that in the denominations that I was in at the time mm -hmm. and literally have created, you know, I don't know if I seem like I'm bragging or not, but I've created a pretty huge following, you know, our mm -hmm. footprint with national televisions, 120 million U.S. homes. That's just with the, 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 that's not counting YouTube or the apps. And so, but what we found is that there are other people just like me that were truth seekers that were sitting in churches like this thinking, Hearing that whole fear stuff and, and uh, you know, the any minute Jesus could come and would you, you, you're going to be left behind and, uh, you know, and, and I, I respect that. I'm not trying to fight anybody else when I teach that just because I think that I know that the people that taught that to me were doing the best they could with what they understood. Mm -hmm. So I try to be really gracious to that. That, that, but, but most people sitting in churches have never heard that there's an alternative, right. that there's another view to this, except that I think everybody has sat in church thinking something about this isn't right. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, and that's what happened to me. I thought, I said, I was like, there's something about this that's not right. And I knew in my spirit it wasn't, but I don't know what it is. And so I decided at age 16, I'm going to find out what this book's saying for myself. Right. And I started to research and study for myself. And I said, Lord, if you show me this, I'll be faithful to tell the people what you told me. And that's what I've done over the 43 years of full-time traveling ministries piece by piece. And I'm always still a student. I, I don't feel like I know it all by any stretch of the imagination. But I will tell you this. When you see this, you can't unsee it. You're exactly right. And yeah. I tell people you will bless and curse the day you met me because you will never be the same again and you can't go back. I can second that. And when you see through it, you see through it. But it's so life-changing and so good news that I'm passionate about it, not because I want to prove a doctrine or because I want to fight about something. It's because I believe it gives people their life back. Mm-hmm. 
I believe it brings back mental stability. I shared this morning how I have several psychiatrists that get product from me because 90-some percent of the people that are dealing with mental uh, illness or that are in insane asylums think they've either blasphemed the Holy Ghost or committed the unpardonable sin, and when they finally believe that, it flips them out. And you know how many nights, how many sleepless nights I had? Think about that. I mean, I you know, I was raised in an atheist home, and so— Whenever I did come to the faith at 10, and then, you know, I slipped out by the time I was 15 or 16, that's all I thought. I've, I've committed the unpardonable yep. sin. I'll never, you know, it's terrifying. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And that's, a, that's, that's not one that's easy to understand. And then when you do understand it in its context, then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, so I actually haven't, you know. And yep. I've heard so many people say, I wish I lived in that time. And I thought, no way. Yep. I would not trade being on this side. Yep. Of that first generation, yep. you know, and whenever you were preaching in the in those younger days, and you know, you're around a lot of people that are they have the same Holy Spirit that you and I have, and the doctrines that they've learned have come from tradition um, that have been passed down, and we know how strong tradition is. But along your journey, you know, did you meet other pastors or other preachers or men or whatever that were they were just as adamant about reading the scriptures as you were that that maybe you guys would discuss and talk about these things like you got the a little bit of preterism right a little yeah. bit before because you would hear from people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely was, and that's how I kind of have been. You know, I, I really told people, you know, your presentation and how you deal with people is like going to a fine restaurant. And that's one of the things that concerns me, to be honest, about the Predators movement when I look, start looking into it, is that they're, a lot of them want to fight. Or yeah. they don't, when they poke people in the nose, then you wonder why there's a resistance to it. You know, mm-hmm. In other words, I don't try to create a fight. It's like going to a fine restaurant. If you have good food and you present it properly, people are going to want to eat it. But if you take a, take a, food, a plate that's even worth $100 a plate and slap it in somebody's face, it's not palatable. Mm-mm. And I think that's sometimes how we presented the gospel. So what I've done is try to find hungry hearts and present it in a way that he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing with him the sheaves also, which to me doesn't mean you have to go with tears running down your face. But the attitude that I carry for me personally is I think what I'm carrying is precious seed. It's valuable to me. Mm-hmm. And because I value it, that that ignites something in other people to be interested in it, especially when you're not forceful with it. And so I found other leaders that were asking the same questions. Mm-hmm. And I would ask the same question. I would even go, because I was concerned about my pastors, uh, or not, I was concerned about what I was learning. I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to ask my pastor. And so... I'd go to my pastor, no disrespect to him, but I would say, well, what about this? And he'd say, now, be careful. Now you're getting deceived. And I'd think, that's why I'm asking you. Yeah. You know, and so he'd say, now, be careful. And so I'd say, well, you know, that's why I'm asking you. But after a little while, I realized this is a good man, but he don't know himself. That's why he don't want me to ask the questions. So I still started researching. And then I started to meet with leaders in private uh, and did for several years and, uh, you know, I had a private forum. I still have a private forum where I have uh, uh, about 600 pastors that I communicate with leaders. Some of them are real high-profile pastors. If I, if I, I call them Nick at night. They don't want to be seen with me in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> but they come to me privately because they know what I'm preaching is true. Andy, that's a reference to the Bible. That's a Nicodemus at night thing. Andy, yeah. Andy doesn't know. Yeah. And so— <laughs> I was meeting with leaders in private, and I would, I, I, the first one, I, when I had the first one, I thought, well, I told my son, I said, if, I, if I have 15, I feel like this was highly successful. And I had 150. 
key leaders show up for my first one dealing with eschatology especially. And then it, it, was all, it started growing from then on. So I had several private forums. And then I decided a couple of years ago to open this to the public and do one hosted by three churches in Birmingham, Alabama, is where I met Rick at. And Rick actually was my driver down there a little bit. But we opened it to the public. And since then, I've done a couple of these once a year. I do them somewhere in the world and just pick a spot. And then, you know, we normally have 100, 200 people to well, show. The first time that you Go released ahead. that was... On YouTube, yeah, you did in 2019 yeah. during COVID. You left, yeah. you released a four-part episode of the eschatology, and that's what I happened to see. And after the first video, I literally had a splitting headache all day long yeah. afterwards because it had literally <laughs> melted my mind down. Yeah, and it wasn't until beginning to finally figure out after the going through the rest of the episode that it really put things together for me. And through that is what spun me into actually putting the time and effort into the Bible that I had never really had focus to do before. So you had actually started then, but it was still minute. Yeah. Then you went to Alabama, and I said, I, I don't feel uncomfortable about this because I've never done anything like this on my own. Because I came by myself, drove all the way to Alabama to see you, um, to hope to get the opportunity to ask the important questions to, to help. And the one thing that you did, like you do for everybody else that you talk to, you answer the questions in such a way that it encourages more. Yeah. You bring out the platter and say, here, eat more. And it, it's never, you've never shown anybody away. Yeah. I think that's great. So when, whenever you started discovering this, you say by revelation, of course. Um, did you have moments when you, were, you didn't want to believe it? Like, Absolutely. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. I remember because see, I was in a stream where you know I've I've stood on some really big platforms and yeah. still do. Yeah. But I thought when I started seeing this, I thought, man, you know what? I can't unsee this. Yeah. <laughs> and can you talk it? Because if you talk, yeah, it, you can't talk. What, what you're thinking is, and see, that's what's happening with these leaders that I tell you about. I'm meeting in private. They're thinking through. This is going to cost me something that's if right. I preach this. I know it's true. But if I preach it, the people will leave us. And that's what some of them have said is that, you know, but see, I decided for me personally that the love for the truth was greater than my love for the fame or the success that I was having. Sure. And so while I I was, I, I thought it would cost me a lot of relationships, mm -hmm. it really didn't in the long run to be honest with you, because a lot of them continued to trust me because I, you know, I know that people who are listening to me now, they don't know me, you know, personally, right. but people that I've had relationship with long-term, they trust me. They know that, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm the real, uh, yeah, my problem, that's, that's bad for me to say I'm the real deal for something it's like I'm tooting my own horn, but I mean, the people that follow me trusted my ability to lead. So they were kind of following me all along as I was making this journey myself. And what happens to you is you're trying to hold it back when you're preaching, but you start leaking information. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best way to do it is just leak just enough information to make them think about and ask some questions. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, and like I said, I walked off of some really big platforms and some of it wasn't because I was afraid to lose it. Some of it was I chose to because I knew that it, it wasn't the venue for me. And, and frankly, some of it was just too corrupt for me. I'll just be honest about it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I'm just, if you all can call this success, you can have it. And so now, I, you know, I, I have returned to a lot of really big platforms, but I'm there for the right reason now. This time I didn't compromise my message. And see, mm -hmm. you know, I knew that if I would moan and groan and entertain the crowd good, 
that I mean, I, I was already doing. Uh, I mean, I, I, that I could. I, you know, the money's good, sure. but that's like, that's a prostitute, man. That is. And so I decided I wasn't selling it, and yeah. so I just decided to preach my heart and let it make whatever room it does for me. And at this point, it's making really big room. You know, I mean, I'm still standing on some really, really big platforms and behind the scenes meeting with some major leaders that trust me again and that were even some of the ones that I walked away from before who kind of kind of really begin to find their way back to God in a sense. Yeah. You know, even them. Sure. And so, you know, it's been kind of a, a pretty good journey, and it's, I'm there for the right reason. I feel really fulfilled about that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I also, because you, you met me in a place, this is a fairly small venue for me. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't preach on Sweet spirit. Yeah, sweet I don't, people. I don't preach I love it here. platforms every week. I think that's what surprises people. I think Rick saw some of the places that I preached at, and he thought, man, when he saw a place. Yeah, I think when you contacted me the first time, you thought, if I come, can I shake your hand? And I think, well, if you just, if you walk up to me, you can shake my hand because I'm not going to hide, you know. So I think he was kind of <laughs> surprised that I would be in a place like that. And But I do that all the time because well, I'd rather go to Hungry Hearts than I would to. Well, you, anybody that you would see naturally, you would think in their mind, anybody that quote unquote would deem themselves or see themselves as famous. And I would see yourself as famous because you got a you got a network television show. You you got a, a very successful YouTube channel. And sometimes in you having this thought in your mind, you don't want to meet your heroes. Yeah. Because they may disappoint you. And the the fact that and truth be known, I've known about you and seen you since the nineties, late nineties. So there's a little bit of seed there, but you were just as genuine even then as you are now, and that's what makes it should make it anybody easy and warming to be around you. You're just you are natural to who you are. Yep. Yeah, that's what I enjoyed. You know, I'm not tooting your horn, but today, like hearing you speak today, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna have to start listening more to Dr. Hiles because I could see your you know, I come from dispensational preaching. I come from that old style preaching, and I could see it. You have that moment where you're like, you're going off on that tangent to preach, you know, yeah. and I could see it. And yeah. then, but you're like, man, I need to get back to my, <laughs> back to my lesson here. But, but uh, I was glad that you didn't. I was yeah. glad that you just went with it because I, I think that's what we needed to hear today. And I think that's so what if it takes you a hundred episodes to get out? Yeah. It should have done in 50. Yeah, yeah, so what? Yeah. I mean, for me at the end of it, and I think now would be a good time since I'm remembering it because I'm terrible at remembering in the middle of recording, is what you talked about this morning, and then we'll come back to your to your life, but you you said that the bread of God, or the, the bread, right? Mm-hmm. Could you give us a little rundown of well, that again? I was talking about how everything that Jesus did, he did it on purpose. And it, it, it wasn't just that he did a miracle, just a random act. It was saying something more because they were signs. You know, a sign is pointing to something. So mm-hmm. he's really, you know, John wrote in, in his uh, in his is uh, a gospel. He said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that believing you have life through his name. Uh, the last one of the books I wrote uh, called Unforced Rhythms of Grace, I deal with the miracles that he did on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I show in them how that he handpicks those miracles because under the old covenant law, uh, everything that the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy said disqualifies you from eating the bread of God was if you had a flat nose, a hunchback, a withered hand, a running sore, if you were a dwarf or uh uh, you had a club foot, you were disqualified from eating the bread of your God. And this and, is in Leviticus. And this is Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I, I, I don't know the exact chapter, but yeah. if I was preaching on the subject, I'd have the, the, the notes in front of me. 
And so it was, but under the old covenant, it was always pointing out what was wrong with you with no remedy. Mm-hmm. But in the new covenant, Jesus handpicks those very things that you were disqualified from in the old covenant, the withered hand, the flat nose, the hunchback. He handpicks those in the new covenant to heal them mm-hmm. because he's shown you this is a better covenant. And even to the point where he invites this great feast and he invites them to come and they refuse to come, which was really first century Jews that were about to miss their their invitation to come to the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he, when he makes the great feast, he says, go get the halt, the lame, the blind. In other words, everybody that was disqualified before is invited to the table because the bread of God is Jesus himself. Yes, okay. He's the true Amen. bread that came down from heaven. You know? I love that. And so he, he invites them to the table because he's there to heal them. So he finds then in the New Testament on the Sabbath, a man with the withered hand. Yes. Who had been disqualified in Leviticus, but here's the real bread of God who heals the man with the withered hand. He finds a woman who's a hunchback. She's bowed to the earth. She could be in no wise lift up herself. And when she, he's going to do this on the Sabbath, then the Pharisees are looking at him. He says, ought not this woman, who is a daughter of Abraham, be loose from this infirmity on the Sabbath? You loose your ox or your ass, but you won't do. In other words, he's saying, you think more of your animals than you think about people. But I came not to disqualify I came to qualify, and he says to that woman, stand up and right be healed. He finds the running sore, which was the leper. Mm-hmm. He finds the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, who cries out, recognizes what the Jews of that day don't. This is the son of David. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me. And he heals the blind man. And so I thought about the dwarf then, and I thought, well, where's the dwarf at? Well, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He yeah. wee little man was he. Yeah. Climbed up in a sycamore tree. And so Jesus goes and says, you know, Zacchaeus, come down because I must abide at your house. The sycamore tree there is the Greek, in the Greek, it calls it an inferior fig tree. Well, the fig tree is the leaves that Adam used to cover his nakedness, which symbolizes to me the works of the law and the law and the old covenant. The whole fig tree thing was cursed by Jesus. And so he says, come down out of that inferior fig tree. I think that's what, you know, I've said this on my national television program, come down out of that inferior religious tree and just let Jesus abide at your house because he is there to seek and to save that which was lost. So everything that was disqualified mm-hmm. under the old covenant, he's the bread of God and he comes, you know, to literally heal what was disqualified under the old covenant and invited to the table so that what we do in this new covenant day is that we invite the halt, the lame, the blind, the broken. I've said you know, the night before you got here, I said, you know, there's broken people everywhere. And broken people, God loves broken people mm-hmm. because broken people is all there is. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. Your brokenness may not be the same as mine, but right. you're broken in some way. And I've, I've always, when I preach that, I usually talk even about Mephibosheth, mm-hmm. who was the, the, the son of, uh, grandson of uh, uh, Jonathan, or Jonathan's son, I forget exactly which one he was. And uh, you know, David becomes he was malformed or had a, yeah, he yeah. was crippled in his feet. Crippled he was dropped by a midwife. Of course, yeah. I always preached that as a religious system that dropped me and crippled me too because yeah. I was wounded. And <laughs> right, and then you're hiding down in Lodabar, which means shame of your family name. And so he was down in Lodabar, and one day King David's sitting in the palace and he remembers the covenant he made with Jonathan. And he said, Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I can do good unto him? Which is a totally foreign concept. Because what would happen when a king would come into power is he would kill every person of the former dynasty. Sure. So that there's not even a possibility of an insurrection. Sometimes they'd kill their own children. Oh, yeah, and a revolt. Yeah. 
So when you can bet Mephibosheth is sitting down there hoping this date never comes. Mm-hmm. But one day the king's chariots roll up to his house, and he's probably thinking, this is the big one, Myrtle. I'm done for it, you know? <laughs> And so, you know, the, 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 yeah. required, the king has required to see you. And I bet he told the guy, don't drive fast because this is probably my last day on earth. <laughs> and this, this thing tears me up when I think about it. But this crippled boy drags himself into the palace. I think of myself dragging myself in before the king of kings and the greater son of David. And King David looks at him and Mephibosheth said, what am I? but a dead dog in the presence of the king. He thinks he's done for it. Mm -hmm. And David looks down and gives him the shock of his life. He says, man, I didn't bring you here to kill you. I brought you here to give you back all your father's inheritance. Yeah. And he said, furthermore, you're not even going to have to work in your own fields. I'm going to give you Zeba to work the fields. All I want you to do, son. Yes, sit at my table. Sit at my table. Uh, That's right. Come and dine. Yeah. You're the crippled man. Come on. Yes. You know, that, he, that he's going to heal, you know. And so he, he invites this crippled boy to his table. And says, I'm going to restore your inheritance. And so I think of uh, the invitation that God wants to give to people who are like me. And I shared this this morning how, you know, a lot of people in, in drug rehabs and insane asylums, when you start hearing their stories, have already been to our church. Yeah. And they've been rejected by a religious system that pushed them away rather than invite them to the table. But if we can invite them to the table, even in their crippled state. Yeah. And I think probably King David probably had a meeting with his servants and said, listen, I've invited Mephibosheth to the table today, but whatever you do, don't make fun of his crippled feet. Don't point out his crippled feet. Right. And whatever you do, don't look under the table. Yeah. Because if you look under the table, everybody at the table is crippled. So the emphasis is not on what's under the table. The emphasis is on the table. And what's on the table is this is my body. Mm-hmm. It was broken for you. Yes. And even communion in the new covenant is not to disqualify you. It's so that you can come to the table and eat it worthily mm-hmm. and realize it's what's on the table that made me worthy to sit at this table to be healed. So that's that's kind of the, the path a little bit without preaching the message all yeah. over again this morning. So, Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. So can you tell our audience some of the books that you've written and where they can find them? All of my books are available on my website at lynnhiles.com. And everything, uh, all my audio stuff, there are direct links from that to my podcast. Uh, my, there's an RSS feed for your Android device for that. There's a direct link to my YouTube channel where you can just tap it and take it straight there. But I have all my books there. All kinds of audio materials are on the on my website. You can also get all of my books through uh, Amazon. They're all on Amazon. They're available on Kindle. One of them is available on Audible. We just put From Law to Grace, a Kingdom Paradigm Shift on Audible so you can get it in audio form. I personally like audiobooks because I can read them while I'm traveling or whatever. So all of them are available like that. And my, my TV program broadcasts uh, beginning February the 7th. We're going into prime time. But on the East Coast, it, it it's late night. It comes on at 1230 a.m. Tuesday night on Impact Television Network. But that puts it on in the Midwest at 11.30, Central, 10.30, 9.30 Pacific time on Impact Network. And it's on Dish Direct. It's on almost every cable outlet there is. Roku, it's on Fire TV, it's on all, all kinds of stuff. We're on in the Bahamas as well at the same time. And uh, but, uh, but everything that we air, we upload it to our YouTube channel, as well as some of the seminars that we've been doing public. I would say the one I just did in Peculiar Missouri in October called Victorious Eschatology, the Peculiar Missouri one is probably one of the best I've done because I keep perfecting honing my craft, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, uh, you know, I present this to leaders and wait 
uh, even, you know, for pushback. And so far, we've had no pushback. It's amazing to me that we've not had the pushback. So, and even that just as a testimony, I thought when I did it on national TV, I figured it'd be my death warrant. This would be my reason to retire. I thought I'm going to preach to anybody who wants to hear me preach anymore. <laughs> and it shot us to another level. I was amazed at the response levels of partners that started to join because on national TV, there's a there's an alternative to some of the whole. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not trying to fight nobody else's view, but yeah, I can only preach what I think God said to me. Yeah. And so we're putting it out there, and, and that's and it's just been amazing to me. Yeah, I think that your message is important. I mean, obviously, it's the biblical message. It's just an understanding of the Bible, and it gives us a hope and a future. Yeah. It gives us something that we're not afraid that this is the end of everything all yeah. of a sudden. And, you know, I don't know why the church had to go through that two or 300 years of you know, this Darby-ism, you yep. know, I, I don't know why, but we did. and um, But I think that the church is going to be better for it, I think, in the end. Yeah. The capital C church, the whole church. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, I think, again, Rick, you know, I don't want to take up too much time here. No, I've got all the time in the world. But I, I, you know, when I started studying, I didn't realize that the dispensational rapture theory was only a couple hundred years old. And, and Wikipedia will tell you that. Yeah. And, and had no idea that there was other alternative views to this. No, that, we just thought that's what the Bible said. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were told is, bless God, we're right, and, and everybody else is wrong, and didn't realize that it was founded, actually, from my understanding, to stop the Reformation. Yeah. was one of the things that was, you know, it came out of a Jesuit school of uh, to create a futuristic scheme of interpretation, and out of it took off, and so it swept the country until that's what American culture thinks is the only way to view it. Yes. And then, you know, my question, even as a young man, though, when I would read those texts before I knew any of this, is this looks to me like he's talking to these people in this generation because he's saying that. Yeah. Yes. He's standing there in front of the te- temple saying, do you see these things? Yes. And this generation's not going to pass away. And that's what got me in trouble asking my pastor, well, this looks to me like he's not talking about something in the future. But what threw me was King James what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Yes. But when I realized that that word world was a mistranslation of the Greek word age, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't the end of the world as a cosmic collapse, mm-hmm. but it was the end of the age as a old covenant coming to an end. And that's what really thrust me into not just preaching eschatology, but preaching grace in the new covenant. Yes. And so that really was the thing that really put the nail in the coffin for me was, wait a minute. If this was the last days of the old covenant, what are we doing preaching the wrong covenant? Mm-hmm. And that was the game changer for me. I, I just did a, a seminar in a pretty good size Word of Faith church, and I said, everything you believe about end times is right. You just have the end at the wrong spot. That's exactly, <laughs> I have said that so many times. I'm like, we should study dispensationalism, but then we should go back yep. and look at it because they're actually pretty smart. Like yeah. they're picking up on the yeah. things and when they should fall to how all this, and then go back and show them, well, this is how it happened. Yeah. And I I mean, I, I tried to do that in our all of a discourse study. I tried to go back and show, you even touched on some of that this morning, yeah. you know, talking about the, the famines and pestilences. And we were able to find them both scripturally and historically, yeah. a lot of these things that happened. And so the, they're, it's weird. It's like their doctrine is wrong, but the way they go about getting that wrong doctrine is correct. It's the oddest yeah. thing, you know? And see, I, that's why I'm saying I try to be respectful to other people's of course. view because I don't disrespect these. These are good men. I know some of them. And I have friends that oh, don't believe like I do. Oh, and they love like the I, Lord. Yeah, they love the Lord. I have friends that don't believe like I do. I still preach for them. 
Yeah. I'm respectful enough sure. to, to not try to destroy their house. And I think that's a side of being 43 years in the ministry. Yeah. Is you don't go in there to blow a guy's house up. You won't go in there to help him. And so, you know, and so I, I think that's probably why I've been kind of successful is that I'm not trying to be a— uh, you know, a destruction guy, you know. Right. Uh, but anyway, you know, they, they mean well just like we do. And there's things, honestly, I keep, I, the reason I've read it till I'm 65, I wrote one book on Revelation, I'm getting ready to write some more, a, a second volume to it, because I only ch- covered the first four chapters. But every time I get ready to write, I learn something new. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to put a disclaimer in it. This is truth as I know it today, but I am still growing. Absolutely. I'm still learning, man, you know? Yeah. And so, as soon as we stop growing, we're done. Yeah. I mean, I'm a student. I am too, and I love it. You yeah. know, I do I do too. That's what makes it exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, the the Lord does reveal things to us in the time that we need it. Yeah. That's when we, we need it. You know, I met, uh, the way I met Rick was just through a random message he sent me, and it's it's developed into a great friendship, and now we're on this little path together, and it's been so much fun, you know, which led me to you, and who knows where, you know. Now he's who, become the messenger of Satan to buffet you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're thorn in the I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm just giving Rick. I'm giving top. Rick a rough yeah. time. <laughs> Which Rick? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. I forgot. We got Rick, Rick, and his other brother Rick. Right? That's a Bob Newhart reference. That's a Newhart reference. <laughs> so, yeah. So before I let you go, uh, and I'm sorry you didn't get to meet the rest of the cast. I think they would have really enjoyed having yeah, you. Probably be this. future times. I think I'll. I'd like to fly in and bring you to the studio and let everybody meet you. Um, but Billy Kimsey, uh, we call him Eye Candy, and all the, all the ladies say so. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. Andy says so. That's because they haven't met me yet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yeah. told me I look like Johnny Carson this morning. So. <laughs> I know. But he always asks two questions of the guests, and the first question that he asks is, where do you go on the day that you die? What happens to you on the day that you die? How would you answer that? I think that you, this mortal puts on immortality. Mm-hmm. This corruptible puts on incorruption. I don't believe we're waiting on some great getting up moment. I believe for the believer that the moment you put this shell off, you step immediately into the presence of God, which I would describe as heaven. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that. I think we use Revelation twenty-one to describe heaven. And Revelation 21 is not a description of heaven. It's mm-hmm. a description of the bride, the Lamb's wife, the city of God, which is the community of faith. The new Jerusalem replaced the old Jerusalem. Yes. and But I believe that it is a, I think that uh, from what I kind of feel is my view of it is that we're they're like the angels of God, that mm-hmm. they're sent forth in the earth to continue to minister for those who shall be the heirs of salvation and uh um, I think we're encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses, and I think just like Hebrews 12 says, every time we come to Mount Zion, there's a feastal gathering of angels, and I think our our loved ones gather there at the same moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what Paul was trying to tell him in 1 Thessalonians 4, was it's really not about a rapture, it was about a resurrection, and he's telling them, don't be ignorant about them who have fallen asleep, but, right. you know, because up until... And that's a long subject that I couldn't cover in just a few moments. But uh, he, really, the whole chapter in First Thessalonians, in my opinion, is him talking about what's going to happen at the close of A.D. 70, that mm-hmm. there's going to be a resurrection. And from then on, yeah. as for us who are alive and remain, we don't wait to get up. We're not going to sleep. Right. We're changing a moment in the twinkling of an eye and the last trump. And the last trump sounds in Revelation 11, right after the Gentiles siege the city for 42 months, and the dead are raised right in that same chapter. Yeah, that's not an accident. That's the seventh trumpet, last trumpet, 
The same archangel that you see in 1 Thessalonians 4 is the same chief messenger that opens the book in Revelation 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, you know, to me, the pieces are there too. That was one of the things I tried not to see. Yeah. And what, when you're tied in with Daniel, when you see all of the stuff that's happening in Daniel chapter 7, that the books were open and another book was open, that all was happening in that whole period of time during the time of the Roman kings. Because when you start the book of Daniel, it says, in the days of these final 10 kings, mm-hmm. the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And he starts out in chapter 2 by telling you, and the Amplified does a historic work for you. It says, you're the king of Babylon, or the first king. After you is going to rise Darius the Mede, and the third, Alexander the Great. And then the fourth kingdom will be Rome. Mm-hmm. That's the same beast that's in, in Daniel chapter 7 when the books are open and right. the judgment is set. It sets it right in that time. It, it's just too irrefutable to me. Sure. So, uh, about, you know, that, that was so a, in that a nutshell, like a ha- so <laughs> you're going to go to heaven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I, I tried to make that clear this morning a little bit. It's like, I, you know, even though I preach the kingdom and the present reality, that's me. I I'm not taking anything from heaven. You know, I mean, sure, you know, sure. I think of course. If you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. I think the difference between old covenant and new covenant is we don't sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Paul was trying to show them is that for new covenant believers beyond the close of that age and the close of that covenant, we will not all sleep. We're changed in the moment. Amen. I agree. And actually, the word where he says we call it to meet the Lord in the air is not oranos like the sky. It is A-E-M-I, which means to breathe or expire air. It literally could be translated the moment you take your last breath. Mm. You're caught up. Oh, wow. I've never heard that. I'll look into that. Matter of fact, <laughs> you know, let me just say this as well. When my mother was passing, and if you've ever been with anybody that's dying, they'll start talking to people on the other side. They yeah. don't get confused. My mother started talking to my dad, my grandma, and my great-grandma. And I told my sibling, she's getting ready to go. And she said, uh, your daddy wants me to go with him climb up on a rock. She wants me to go rock climbing because I know who the rock was. Yeah. And I said to my sibling, she's deciding if she's going to go or stay. I said, Mom, if you want to go, it's all right. She said, well, I'm thinking about it. And so she, you know, and she started talking to, and if you've ever, hospice people, when I t- talk about that, they go berserk because they said, you are exactly right. Because they are seeing the other side. And there's that, First Thessalonians 4, there's a welcome meeting. With mm. the Lord in the lower atmosphere, yeah. where Dad was helping her cross over. How about that? So, what do you think about that, Cherry? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, the second question Billy always asks is, okay, um, from a preterist perspective. Now, I think his question is really led towards more full preterism than it is partial, because he says, "Where is Satan today?" I believe that Satan is bound, just like you know. I mean, Jesus said. Uh, uh, you know, that uh, the prince of this world has already been judged. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said in Colossians, he said, uh, you know, uh, that he disarmed principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And I say to congregations, what do you think Satan's devices are? Of course, they'd say sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but the context of that is the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. Mm-hmm. So the weapon of the enemy was the law. He's the accuser of the brethren. So that when he took the weapon from him, he disarmed principalities and powers, made to show them openly triumphing over him through the cross, redeeming us from the curse of the law. And so I think Satan has been bound. Now, I think there's still evil operating in the world, but I think that there is an ongoing, uh, if you will, mop-up uh, operation going on by the church to enforce that. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the only way Satan can ever be loosed is to give him back the law. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they're going to... I could take another hour and tell you what I think the bottomless pit is and all that, but I think it connects actually with Deuteronomy. You know, when he says in Deuteronomy, who will ascend up to heaven? That is to bring the words of this law down to us that we, we may hear it and do it. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to go across the sea to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Mm-hmm. But the word of this law is near you, even in your mouth. Paul quotes that very scripture in Romans 10, except he replaces the word law with Christ. Mm-hmm. So he says, who will ascend up to heaven? That is to bring down Christ from above or who would ascend into the deep. The abyss is the same Greek word. That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what binds Satan from being able. That's the great chain uh-huh. of truth that binds him is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what defeated the devil and gives us power over That's, the power of the enemy. I'm going to have to go dig on that one. It's a good, I have a message on it somewhere. I want one of my channels somewhere. but It's I'm, called As the Days of Heaven on Earth, if you want to look it up. I want to ask you a question now that is, this is unusual for me to ask this question, but since I have you in my presence, I got to dig here. So I have this thought that I've been presenting. I'm do, we're doing a study on Hebrews right now. And something that that hit my my brain really hard was I noticed in the garden that Adam never worshipped. You never hear of worship prior to the fall. And... Adam walked with God, obviously, in the cool of the day, which must have been something that they did often. I know that Adam worked in the garden. I know that he was to dress and to keep that garden. And I know that once he was deceived, or once Eve was deceived, and once he ate of the fruit, and he basically consumed the knowledge of good and evil, which is morality. The, the moral, when morality entered into the picture, I believe that man then... Wanting with, again, which was bad, was the knowledge of good, was also in that tree, right? Mm-hmm. That worship became a thing. Now, I know that there are angels that worship God. I know that there's worship mentioned in heaven, especially among the heavenly host. But you never hear about that with the man, mm-hmm. the Adam that was made. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, because he was kicked out and was no longer allowed to eat of the tree of life, which we know is Christ, then now, if all things are fulfilled and we have access to the tree of life. Yes, we worship while we're in our earthly tents here, but are we meant to worship forever, or are we meant just to have a relationship? That's just a question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the highest order of worship is to become like the thing you're worshiping. Yeah. And I think that Adam was worshiping. He wasn't doing like we say, but right. he was reflecting the image of God. So I think that, you know, even coming short of the glory was that God's image was lost in the earth. Yeah. I don't think that it wasn't that God couldn't find him. He's saying, Adam, where are you? God is looking for his image. I don't know if you've ever uh, studied Well, Hebrews any, 1, Christ is yeah, the radiance and the exact imprint, right? express image. Of, express image uh, yeah. of that. So he restores he put it back. In it. And I always say it like this. Adam had a garden. He turned it into a graveyard, and Jesus takes a graveyard, turns it into a garden. Yeah, that's great. Adam had access to a tree of life. He chose a tree of death, and Jesus chooses a tree of death, turns it into a tree of life. 
Yeah. Adam gets cursed with you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Jesus prays in a garden until he sweats. He sweats until he bleeds. And when he bleeds, one drop of blood reverses the curse. It said, you've got to earn this stuff anymore. And so everything he does in his redemptive work, he does it in a garden. Yeah. Even clear down to his resurrection, he's planted in a garden. Because mm -hmm. if you're going to redeem and restore, you can't keep planting the same seed and hope you get a different crop. Right. So an incorruptible seed comes. And even when he gets up from the dead, he's in a garden. Mm -hmm. And Mary says, sir, I thought you were the gardener. He, in fact, was the gardener. He just put him back in a finished work, and the image of God is back in his temple. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I, I see that as the highest form of worship is that. I when, see that, too. I, you know, as we behold his yeah. image, and it really flows out of adoration and relationship, you know. so and, I don't want to take away from the yeah. Christ is worthy of our praise. God, God, to God be praised. Yeah. I, I don't mean it yeah. in that regard. I just see it as, yeah. like you said, the highest form and, and I think, too, it's like I said this morning, you know, see, we think of, of praise and worship as being vertical, what we do when we come to church. Yeah. But Jesus elevated what worship was when he said, if you bring your gift to the altar, remember you have all against your brother, you know, go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What he's shown is your rituals is not what I'm looking for because worship is not only vertical, it's horizontal. It's how you treat people here. That's an expression of worship as well. So my worship is how I treat the guy that drove me to church or the lady across the street or the waitress that served me this That's afternoon. right. Yeah, That's and that, you're exactly right. That it's, it is it is how that we... Well, are, I love the rest of it. Why we live, yeah. 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 Why we live, you know, why we live in it. Yeah. Dr. Hiles, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, my joy. Thank you for allowing me to share my heart a little bit. Yeah, thanks for meeting with us. And uh, I think I'm going to make Rick our driver. There you go. <laughs> Just keep somebody with bail money around. <laughs> yeah, guys, go check out uh, L-Y-N-N-H-I-L-E-S.com, LynnHiles.com. And it, I could sit and talk to you for hours, Dr. Hiles. I could. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great. But anyway, so thanks so much. Does anybody have a joke? <laughs> you told a joke this morning. I forget what uh, I know. Uh, I was about Jesus making the first batch of deviled ham. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. When he cast the demons into the pigs. <laughs> <laughs> and you look. Now, I laughed. I busted a, a yeah. guy on that one. Those, I love those good jokes. Anyway, well, thank you, Dr. Hiles. Thank you. I really appreciate yep. it. Yep, so much. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that was pretty cool, huh? Oh, that was awesome, man. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, Lynn Hiles is the man. Like, I, I liked how. We didn't really get into it, but you know, we had a lot of little side discussions, you know, and I yep. was talking to him about Adam on the third day yeah, and you know, all this stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right which, there, Dan. Yeah. Which you guys will hear uh in a future side study uh that Rick did uh, on how old Adam is. Uh, you know, and we were sort of like playing around with that with yeah. Dr. Hiles, you know, but uh great guy, um just an amazing thing. Go check him out, Lynnhiles.com. Yes. And uh um, he's got a YouTube channel. He's uh he's also as I think he talks about in the uh Discussion where he has a TV program, um, yeah, and he's he's pretty much way out there. He's in his stuff's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think that, like he said in his testimony, 120 million homes. Oh man, that's you a know lot. he's blasted through. Oh, wow, that's great. You yeah, know, wow. like Directv, um, Roku, Dish Network, Roku, his YouTube channel. I mean, he's all the major. He's he's being broadcast uh, into over, over on the Impact Network over yes. 120 million homes. It's amazing. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, go check him out on lynnhiles.com and um, listen to some of his messages. He is, he's really rocking and rolling, uh, especially in the preterist world. Like he's, you know, fulfilled eschatology and he's, uh, and 
uh, what is it assemblies of God that he's in or what is that? I can't remember which which branch. I think he came out of the Church of God, maybe. Yeah, one of one of. I those, mean, he did, sure. definitely has a Pentecostal background. Yeah, Pentecostal sure. for sure. But yeah, great guy. Anyway. Yep. Well, thanks for sitting in the studio with me, guys. Hope you enjoyed that I'm testimony. Great time. I did. Yeah. So, Andy, we'll talk to you next time. Rick, thanks for making that happen for us, You're man. You're welcome, sir. That's really cool. Yep. Well, we will talk to you guys again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Oh, yeah. Peace out. <laughs> hey, guys. This is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.